Peace, love, and blessings, beautiful spirits. Welcome back to the Spirits and Poetry Podcast and Frequency. I am your host, Jorge Quintana, and this is it, episode 9, the last episode of season 3, Death and the Perfect Ending. If you've enjoyed this third season of the podcast, please consider rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts and following on Instagram at the Spirits and Poetry. And I actually have a new project that I'm working on as I collaborate with Elijah Ware to promote and grow his podcast Zephyr on Instagram. So if you're interested in metaphysics from a Christian perspective, check out our work at underscore Zephyr.podcast. And of course, you are more than welcome to follow me on my personal Instagram account, Jorge Quintana Poetry, if you want to stay up to date on my creative work, because I have actually made a full return to poetry, writing it, directing it, posting it, and I've actually had the opportunity to edit a lot of my old poetry, and the one place where I've made the most changes is the endings. The ends of poems are are my favorite part to write and my favorite part to get to as a reader. I mean, the best poems have endings that that blow our minds, touch our spirits, reawaken suppressed memories. Have you ever read a poem so good, so poignant, so sweet, so bitter that it it reminded you of a time that you were young, of of maybe even another life? Oh, those are the best. Those are the best. Ah, it, it, it makes me crazy knowing that there are some beautiful endings out there in poems and movies and books that I haven't read yet. And you know, a poem's ending is good when, when you just have to sit there in silence digesting what you just read. But what exactly makes an ending good? Over the course of the season, I've talked about how to write a poem, right? how to begin it, how to flesh it out and title it. And in episode four, we actually analyzed how Jose Olivares ended his poem, Ode to Cheese Fries. And if you want to hear me go in depth about the poem and, and break it down, check out episode four, Beginnings, Middles, and Ends. But, but overall, what I was talking about was that in, in order for an ending to be good, in order for an ending to resonate, it has to point to a human truth or, or, or part of human reality. You make an ending good and relatable when you can take the content or the subject of the poem and make it universally accessible. And this works with pretty much any art, any field, anything that you're doing. People love to see themselves in art. They love to see themselves in stories. And often, if you look at your favorite movies, your favorite books, your favorite art pieces, the reason you love them is because you can see yourself in them. You can see a part of yourself in it. Over the past two or so weeks, I've been actually reading a lot more poems, going through Instagram, engaging people, reading a lot of different poets' work and perspective. And one thing I really learned from all of these poets is that you kind of get this syndrome of what I call Instagram poetry syndrome, which is when poets stop writing for themselves and stop experimenting with their work and instead put out poetry that the Instagram algorithm makes popular. These are the kind of poems that, that have empty statements like, Your soulmate is the person that will accept you exactly as you are. Your soulmate is the person that you can come home to when you break down. The person that will hold you in their arms gently all night. And while we analyze and break down the poem from an analytical poetry standpoint, it may not be solid, but the reason it's popular is it's, it's very comparable to the reason why a lot of Hollywood movies are very cliche and mediocre. It's safe. It's the safest way to relate to your audience. Unrequited love is very popular. Twin flames looking for the perfect person to fill your life is very popular. These are two wants that humans have. We all have this in some way, shape, and form. And so when any art form addresses the soulmate or, or addresses being seen and accepted, it, it, it's going to be popular to see. 
We all in some way, shape or form can relate to loving something or someone that doesn't return it, you know, to us and, and feeling that that emptiness that comes with wanting something you can't have. But when you get to those endings, no matter how climatic it may be, ultimately, you're just left with the same old familiar feeling of, ah, cool, I like this, you know, it, it touches me, but it's very surface level. And a lot of these poems are, are very surface level. They address the wants, but they don't really go into the human because the human is not pretty. The human is, is, is it can be ugly, it can be tainted, it can be perverted. And this is another aspect of what makes poems resonate, resonate and especially when you get to the endings, it's, it's how human can you make yourself, your work, your speaker. Some people, poetry is just pretty words, you know, put in a particular order that sounds good and that, you know, resonates with people's ears. It sounds just pretty. But to me, the kind of art that touches my soul, that touches my spirit, is the one that makes me feel okay to, to feel jealous, to feel envious, to, to be afraid to die. And it's interesting that I'm actually recording this episode after watching James Bond, No Time to Die, the final installment in Daniel Craig's run as James Bond. And in this movie, towards the end, there's this quote I want to share by Jack London, and it goes like this. The function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. And, and this quote really just I had to sit there for a moment and just really, this is really what I want to center this episode around. Because when we have things like social media and we have the public's eye always on us and, and there's a divide between what's popular, what's not popular, what the algorithm likes versus what it doesn't, what, what sells versus what doesn't sell. Post Rupee Core, we have a lot of people who gear themselves to focus on this micro poetry, easily digestible words uh, that, that it's easy to write. If I'm being honest with you, it's very easy to write. And as readers, it's very easy to read as well. And now there's this culture of poetry has just been designed to be digestible in bite sizes for an audience with increasingly shorter time spans because of social media. Vine was the first like popular video format right before reels and, sto and stories that gave you six seconds to create a whole story arc. Granted, now we have more time with reels, 30 to 60 seconds, but overall, people are not thirsting for the epics of old that are thousands of pages, right? Hours to get through. And so as poets, we have had to evolve to be able to produce stories in shorter time, in shorter space, while at the same time capturing that that truth of self that human truth that i keep mentioning i, I mentioned some, some some human truths right unrequited love looking for soulmate i also mentioned another one being afraid to die and so if if we see okay so if the instagram poetry right instagram poetry syndrome which i myself have been fighting by the way i'm not above this at all when we get to, to making our lives from our art, we're always going to hit that road where we see other people are having a lot of success with this po poems and, and it's a lot easier to write. And, and you know, it'd be, it'd be, you know, save me some time because realistically, if you want to continue to have success on social media, you want to get published, you have to write a lot. But we're trading the quality of our work to, for, for quantity of production. And oftentimes when I get to those ends of those poems, I don't feel anything at all. And it's not even that it's too familiar, that it's too cliche. It's that I, there, there's no part of me there. Because see, my human want for connection goes beyond not wanting to be alone. 
my human want for connection is the fear that I am alone and that I can do nothing about it. Do you see the difference between the two statements? If, if the statement is, oh, I'm afraid of being alone, a lot of these poems offer you the solution that there is someone out there for you. It's the same with rom-coms, the idea that there is your perfect soulmate out there, but you're going to go through this struggle, you're going to go through these obstacles, so that you can become the person that could welcome them with open arms, and that's often the story that goes. Or people prefer the more depressing story that your soulmate is out there, but for some reason it's just not going to work out. But the second statement, the statement that I am not, it's not that I'm afraid of being alone, it's that I'm afraid that I already am alone and that I could do nothing about it. Now we introduce a second form of, of, of human obstacle. The inevitable truth. What's, the, what's an inevitable truth? That you're going to die, that your loved ones are going to die, that all anyone you know in this world, even people you meet casually on the street, we are all at some point not going to exist anymore. And, and this is a lot of what James Bond deals with. I actually just watched, uh, was it Casino Royale, the first movie? I just watched it like last week and I just went through this whole rabbit hole of watching all the James Bond movies. And a lot of it deals heavily with death. And one thing that, that Daniel Craig's James Bond says, the dead feel nothing. That is what he says. The inevitable truth that we cannot escape from and that this is often going to be what, what's going to transform an ending from cliche and happy to heart-fucking-wrenching. Another example is I watched the anime Yasuke on Netflix and it's about uh, the, the first and only black samurai in recorded history who went from being enslaved to being able to rise through the ranks and, and become a full-fledged samurai. And this anime is uh, very similar to uh, Afro Samurai in the sense that it blends the, the feudalistic society of Japan with a more futuristic robotic sense. And it follows the chosen one archetype with a little girl. And essentially the, the, the anime has really cool music, uh, which is actually by Flying Lotus. So shout out to Flying Lotus for producing some dope, dope tracks. But the ending of this anime was so cliche that I got to the end and, and it, it fell flat for me. And I'll try not to spoil it, but essentially the way that it ends is things get resolved and everything's just, oh happy go lucky things all worked out yay and it kind of brushes over sacrifices that some characters made along the way some characters that died along the way and you're just like hey what about them why is this so happy that people forget about the past people forget about the consequences of of what just happened the consequences of every decision that was made it's like none of that mattered it's all good the music was all live and and, and that's it now compare this to Harry Potter, right? Another another story that has a child as the main protagonist and you get to watch him grow. When you get to the end, it, it it's over. Yeah, you get to be like, okay, fi finally the main antagonist is defeated, but there are consequences. So many people die along the way, it still hurts. You see the main protagonist, yes, he finally wins, but at what cost? If you're going to spend time weaving a narrative together, then the end, it shouldn't just be about payoff. It's not just about, oh, look, ta-da, here's the ending. It should be about honoring the story, about the fact that every single one of our actions has a consequence. And while it's, I'm not going to say that there's no such thing as happy endings, you can have a happy ending, however... It's important to remember that happiness isn't a perfect and permanent state. You can have happiness while at the same time remembering your wounds or even still being scarred. You can be hurt and still find happiness. You can be traumatized and still find happiness. 
And so weaving this all back together to the Instagram poetry, a lot of what I've seen in the work out there and the work that I've been trying to fight not to write, because there's been times I'm like, look, I want to post content. I want to post reels. Why don't I just take the easy way? Let me just confess that I did take the easy way. And I'm actually going to read that poem right now. I'm going to put myself on blast. I'm going to call myself out because I wrote this poem and I cringed. But this is what happens when you take the easy way out in your work instead of really putting that effort. So this is called Ode to My Depression. You weep like the strings of an old guitar out of tune with itself. You collect dust with my high school yearbooks and remind me that I'm not any different from the person that I used to be. But I don't mind you anymore. Instead, I'll hold you the way my mother held me. With one arm will I stir oil into the beans on the stove so that you don't grow hungry. I'll keep you warm under thick blankets and characters from my childhood. I'll teach you the languages my father used as a kid to pass secrets in school without getting caught. I'll raise you to become a better version of me, not because I want you to go away, but I want you to see that the world is beautiful and you belong in it without having to carry all of its weight. Dear reader, I'm sorry that I made you go through that, but but while this poem isn't necessarily bad, it, it just feels like like the, those movies that Hollywood puts out that has the right scenes, the right music, the right moment, but it's like the actors aren't all the way in there. It's like you can just feel that there's something missing. It's like when someone does a deep fake of someone else's face or like or like in movies when like an actor or actress has, has like died and, and they like go in and reanimate their face and you can tell it's not really human and like the scene goes on and it's not that it's horrible horrible but you could just tell it's not really alive that's what this poem feels like to me and let me actually contrast that with what actually happens when i put my full spirit into it so i didn't fully title this but it's uh i I listened to this instrumental called sweets interlude and so this is what happens when i put my soul into a piece i'm writing another poem again but it gets lost in the thoughts of my head and they tell me that i'm never gonna be the person that i'm chasing i just want the sun to fill the room spill through the blinds hold the tender parts of me i just need you to stretch me along the sky to stretch me along the sky to tell me that i mean something validation is something that i need and never quite learned how to ask for and, and you and you hear a, a huge difference. I think the reason I can compare the two is they both have that moment. Like the, the first poem that I read, Oh to My Depression, has that moment where I talk about how my high school yearbooks remind me that, I'll, that I'm not any different than the person that I used to be. While this this next poem, Sweet's Interlude, talks about how the voices in my head tell me that I'm, I'll never be the person that I'm chasing. And they're both saying a very similar thing. Although one just says, oh yeah, the high school yearbooks tell me that I'm, I'm not any different than what I used to be. But you don't really know who I was in high school, right? If you don't go to high school with me, what does that even tell you? That doesn't tell you anything about my personality. However, when I say the voices in my head tell me that I, I'll never be the person that I'm chasing, you may not know the person that I'm chasing. You may not know who I'm trying to be. But I'm sure that there are voices in your head that say you'll never be what you're trying to be either. Likewise, you can also say, ah, you know, my high school yearbook does remind me that I'm not any different. But I think there's something more human about the fact that we all have voices in our head, right? Our mind that says you can't do it. Also, I feel like everything was executed a lot better. Obviously, there's also music and and, and I really just went in. I freestyled the whole thing and, and it just felt good. It felt natural. I, I put my whole heart into it. And you can tell. And when you get to the end, that validation is something that I need, but never really learned how to ask for. That's just an honest part of myself. I need validation. I often put up this front that I'm a really strong and, and secure, confident person, but I need validation. And that validation sometimes comes in the forms of Instagram likes and followers. Sometimes it comes in the form of, of how many of you download my episodes. 
Also, the fact that I'm showing you work of mine that I don't like. I deleted that poem after I read it to my partner. I was like, I, I just can't do it. And and you can see the difference when, when you put the human, when you put the, the truth, the inevitable truth that I need validation versus, oh, depression, you deserve to live in this world without caring all its way. It's like, at least to me, it just feels very different. Which leads us to our conversation about death. I talk about death every season. My friend Kellen asked me why I'm obsessed with death. And I can honestly tell you that I am obsessed with death. I Every day of my life, it feels like I'm preparing for my own death. Because death itself is the perfect ending. What is a perfect ending? It's, it's when you get to an end and you're satisfied. How many of us finish a book, finish a song, finish a movie, and we're immediately, want, we want a sequel. We want to know what happens after. I just talked about the James Bond movies, and there's like five of them. If, if you just count the Daniel Craig, and if you count the others, there's so many James Bond movies out there. And like, I mean, just watching Daniel Craig's movies, imagine being this character trapped in this loop where you're going through so many painful experiences and we want more. What happens after? What happens after? But when we die, there's, there, there, there's no after in the physical world. We go to somewhere else. And, and that somewhere else is really just going to be determined by your own personal beliefs. I can't tell you where we go after we die. Unless you believe the exact same thing as me, which I, I doubt. I honestly doubt it. We all are going to have our own versions of death. But whatever that is, it doesn't matter. Because once we die, there will be nothing of us in the physical world. My partner brought up how if you, if you look at a human body after death, it, it doesn't look human anymore. It looks completely lifeless. If you've ever had the unfortunate experience to go to the wake of someone you knew, of someone you loved, it's not them anymore. Their their bodies are cold and, and often discolored and there's nothing of them there. The Tibetan Book of the Dead, the, the way, the practice that it teaches people is they cremate a body seven to eight days after death so that it gives the spirit no reason to return to earth. So it forces them to move on. Now that you have no body to to return and mourn to, you have to continue forward on your journey. And and so the Tibetans, they, they talk about, I think it's a 47-day period where you're in transitioning in the afterlife. You have to go through certain obstacles. The Egyptians talk about how you will have to face monsters and whatnot. The Tibetans say that you'll have to face demons and angels and you have to recognize that they're part of yourselves. But all this to say that, that whatever journey death is in the physical world, death happens and that's it. Like James Bond said, the dead feel nothing. Funerals are not for the dead, they're for the living to be able to mourn and say goodbye. Caskets are not for the dead, they're for the living to have a physical place they can visit family members to at least have some form of connection with them. We bury people because we want them to be reborn in the earth. There is something primal about returning to the womb, right? Of wanting someone to be reborn as, as a tree or come back to us, reincarnated as a bird or some living thing that says you are still here in this world. I've always said that my goal as a writer is to be able to write the kind of endings that people can get to and be at peace with. It's the end and that's it. Because that, that's what death is. And, and to me, that's why I say that I practice death every day. Or at least I try to, you know, I try to practice it. I try to let go. I try to release, uh, trying to practice this concept of, of once it's done, it's done and it's over. When I graduated from high school, I never went back to visit. When I graduated from college, I never went back to visit friends at the college. I always made a point of just letting things be. I, I don't want to be the person that holds on to memories, to people past the time that, that we're meant to be together. And then you end up in this relationship that's just dead. You end up with this 
dead body next to you that, that, that has no life and you're just carrying it around like Cain did Abel in African mythology and, and then there's nothing you can do about it. You're, you're, you're full of shame and burden and you turn white with fear and that's it. I like how I just casually threw in a myth in there with no explanation, but it's true. The the African uh, mythology, uh, Cain kills Abel and turns white with shame, and that's how white people are born. Fun fact. We gotta let go. And I, I've talked about this, I've mentioned this before, the reason we die is that we need to learn to let go, and I reiterate it again because... Well, personally, I'm going through that lesson again. Letting go of the past, I'm at a point where I'm I'm, I'm releasing, letting go, forgiving, just finally getting past all the past trauma that's held me down and and it's not that oh i'm healed i am now eloquently able to describe my past my trauma i went through therapy and everything's good no i'm very much still hurt very much still traumatized but i can let go of the past kind of like kylo ren said kill the past if you need to i'm just severing that accepting what's happened to me accepting the role that i've played accepting my decisions i don't want to die full of regrets so one thing that you can practice if you're struggling with writing your endings, just imagine that it's your last moments, whatever that character, subject, speaker is going through. Those are your last moments. And, and what, is your, what is that instinct? If when you're about to die, what is your instinct? For me, it's to cling to those I love. It's just to, can I hear your voice one last time? Can I just tell you that you're amazing and that, and that I love you? I've been rehearsing my last words all of my life because I, when I go, I want to be ready. But all this to say. Endings are always going to be bittersweet. And as this season three comes to a close, I just want to thank all of you for listening. Uh, all of you that have supported the show from an inception, thank you so much for for sharing this space with me, for tuning in every other week that I post. And the podcast is going to continue. Season four is going to be about free thoughts and me just kind of just talking about what I, whatever I want to talk about. Nothing's planned fully yet. I'm still working on Zephyr, still working on my poetry, but just know that the podcast is going to continue. There may not be a, let's just say there's not going to be an episode coming up in two weeks, but uh, we'll start up again in a month. So, well, there will be no episode uh, in, in two weeks, which is I'm pulling up the calendar right now. Um, the Capricorn in me is saying I should have been prepared, but that's okay. So this episode is going live uh, Sunday, May, uh, February 6th. So there's going to be no episode February 20th, but we'll come back in March as we continue. Follow the podcast on Instagram for more updates at the Spirits and Poetry. If you're interested in metaphysics from a Christian perspective, check out underscore Zephyr.podcast. But thank you so much for tuning in, y'all. Thank you for a beautiful season three. Go forward with love and light. Write those endings. Practice letting go. You are worthy of love. I love you all so much. Take care. See you soon for season four. Much love.